What does the future of industrial hygiene look like? Welcome to a new season of Healthier Workplaces. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine and your host for this program from AIHA. This week we take a look at what may be in store for the industrial hygiene and occupational environmental health and safety industries when we are joined by our guest Donna Heidel, the president of AIHA, and Felix Bocci, the vice chair of AIHA's CPAG. Stay tuned. Steven, and this is my husband, Sean Hewitt. There we are. Yes, that's our little logo, shown smaller than the large corporations, but it's there right next to the Workplace Health Without Borders logo. This all started as something silly and fun, really. When we made a small donation and found out that even with a donation as small as the one we made, our logo could be on all the swag. We didn't have a logo at the time, so we made one. You've probably wondered about industrial hygienists at Half Draft Acres, as you saw us flashed on all the screens at both face-to-face -face conferences and virtual ones. Well, here we are, just the two of us, two IHs, making a difference a tiny bit at a time. Industrial hygiene is close to our hearts. We both have a proud history of reducing injuries by ensuring workplace exposure levels aren't exceeded. And we care about what the future holds since the average professional is about 43 years old. And since fewer students seem to be joining us, it's important to advance the profession by contributing to a scholarship that funds education and professional development in this field. Welcome, Donna and Felix. Uh, thanks for joining us here uh, on the actual first episode of uh, the Healthier Workplaces show uh, for 2023. Great to see you both. Thank you. Thank you. So here we are. We're in 2023. Um, it, it's been a tumultuous uh, three years or so with the pandemic. Uh, obviously, you know, in, in the industry, there's been a lot of change, a lot of disruption. Um, in some of the things you've seen in the last uh, last few years, do you see any new topics or hot topics in industrial hygiene, uh, occupational, environmental health and safety coming up now as a result of you know what we've just been through? And I'll I'll, I'll pass that out up to Donna first, and then we'll let Felix comment on it too. Certainly, I, I think the one that's most compelling to me, and the one that is in front of virtually everybody, is the design and operation of our HVAC systems. And most, most HVAC systems are aligned with pre-pandemic indoor air quality standards and supported by sensors such as carbon dioxide. But the current standards for building ventilation are not to control infectious aerosols, uh, except in uh, hospital environments or healthcare environments. So Felix, th thoughts on that? What, what are you seeing You know, that's happened over the last three years that may be impacting the industry moving forward here in 23? Right. No, I de definitely think it goes without saying that 
worker well-being has been a priority, and I think it's an emerging priority for industry, for companies, regardless of if we're talking industry, consultants, or, or government workers. And a lot of that can be tied to the great resignation. Uh, a lot of people reprioritizing what they use to drive their decisions from where they work to, to the products they buy. So I think with that, you know, that has an impact on our field as it emerges within the industry, then we have to figure out where our place is within worker well-being, mental st stress, um, worker health overall, and how that kind of contributes to the the overarching organization and, and total worker health. Do you, do you think a, a lot of what you're seeing and what, and what you anticipate going forward in 23 has been driven by this pandemic? I mean, is that has that been a major uh factor in in what you what you see going forward in the industry i know donnie you mentioned the hvac standards don't really you know again they're for ventilation and not necessarily for protecting people from inhaling respirable infectious agents and you know you know felix you you, you mentioned you know similar similar uh thoughts in that you know there's we're really we weren't maybe properly aligned for that in the beginning so what do you, what do you think going forward with that i i don't think that the pandemic itself caused these emerging trends, I think it acted as an accelerator in certain spaces. So some of the things that we were already seeing emerge before the pandemic are coming a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. Um, outside of the Americas, there's been a, a long-term focus on worker well-being. So when we think about Australia and Europe, there are already some legislations that are out there. I think in the US, we're seeing an emergence of that um, coming a lot quicker due to the outcome of the pandemic. So I mean, worker worker health is is obviously a a major issue, um, and maybe not one that's considered enough. You know, and you see, so you think that there's a disparity with the United States versus other countries on this, more so. I think when we think about mental health, right? So so let's distinguish the difference between worker health, which is occupational health, which we've done for for years and years, and then that focus on the psychosocial aspect. So I think the emerging aspect is the psychosocial focus and what can we do from an administrative perspective, from a design perspective to put our workers in the best position to not have any additional unneeded stress when possible, whether that's focusing on uh, shifts, you know, and the, the types of shifts we're working as well as, you know, all the other programs that they have, including uh, uh, employee assistant programs, just ways we can really focus on the overarching health of our employees outside of just the traditional occupational health things that we've focused on in the past. Yeah, and that makes that makes total sense because obviously uh, uh, a worker's mental well-being is going to absolutely affect their productivity at work. And, you know, it, it's the bottom line for the employer one way or the other. So, Donna, you seem like you're, you're in agreement. Thoughts on that or? Right. I, I think Felix is right on the money with this. I, and it aligns with our grand challenges at AIHA and the future of work. Uh, so, for instance, uh, remote workers and the effect on emotional health and well-being. And I think that the pandemic really demonstrated to us the need to for industrial hygiene professionals, for OEHS professionals to pay attention to that. How do we apply our risk and exposure assessment skills to things like heat stress, to gig workers, to the protection of vulnerable workers? And so these are really interesting topics that I think have come to the forefront as a result of the pandemic. So, I mean, obviously, one of the content priorities with AIHA is uh, the total worker health. I mean, I, I know mm -hmm. that's that's on heavily on the radar here. Um, but, you know, for the profession as a whole, then this is this is an issue really not it, it goes beyond AIHA, 
right beyond your organization this this is something that the the you know the oehs professionals globally need to be concerned with this stuff right no i i agree absolutely so this goes this is what we need to understand is what our contributions can be to to help with those topics but also then how to work with other organizations so that we can we can collaborate and we can build a much more solid team team for this Excellent. I know Felix as the co-chair of CPAG. Um, that's that's one of the things that you deal with at AIJ, right? In, in your with that group is coming up with those you know those priorities and what the what the focus points are going to be for for AIJ, correct? Yes, definitely. Um, one of our our large tenants is to go out, do environmental scanning, look at the trends that are happening in industry, right? The economic environment, and then identify how those trends impact the OEHS profession. And if we can identify where those trends are and where there's a emerge, if we can identify where those emerging trends are, then we can really guide content development in a manner to help protect and prepare OEHS professionals for the future. So, so CPAG definitely focuses on trying to see those signals, trying to find those emerging um, trends to, to prepare the association as well as generally professionals in our space for the future and, and the skills they'll need to, to really do their job in the future. And I think that that's uh, that's critically important, right? Um, you know that that your organization does that, and it seems like you're constantly uh, you're monitoring what's going on. I guess we just did a show recently at the end of the year on CPAC, um, so I learned a little bit more about that. And it seems like there's a, a very uh, very deliberate orchestration on how your organization you know looks at these topics and and decides what the focus point should be going forward and you know reassesses. Mm -hmm. So uh, I mean. In 23, are you seeing is are there major priority shifts or is is it more of just nuanced adjustments to what we have going forward? What do you think, Felix? I mean, just a... Right. So so I will say the process that CPAC takes is we, we do a, a broader overview every five years. So we're kind of within that time frame right now. We're, we're going to start up to look in that environmental scan in 2024. But throughout those time periods and between those five years, we try to look within our membership and say, do we see any emerging trends? And I think most of the trends that we have today and that we've seen in the past that connect to our current content priorities are still prevalent today. Um, we did recently have a situation where we identified that occupational exposure banning, which was one of our former content priorities, was no longer of an emerging need, something that we needed to focus on. So, so we adjusted midterm and, and took that away as a content priority. Conversely, before we had total exposure health as a content priority, and we identified that the reality is Total worker health is, is where our members and, and really where the OHS professional has the ability to make waves and really make changes. So we transitioned from total exposure health to total worker health because we really need to look at the complete worker health picture to be able to prepare for the future of this profession. Sure. And total work or total worker health really is more it's all encompassing, right? You're dealing with the, the overall thing as opposed to just the workplace hazards and you know, I guess it's it's much more than that. So, so Donna, you you uh, sit in the president's seat now, you know. So you're in the hot seat uh, for the organization, which I I can't imagine is anything less than a challenge with an organization as uh, diverse and uh, you know, really really just a, a seems like a very active organization with a lot a lot of things going on. Uh, so, looking forward to 23. Uh, what are your thoughts and how how are, how are you feeling about what some of the new priorities uh, need to be to you know that you'd like to do under your term? 
Well, I think our priorities, our strategic plan has been defined and we have a number of new initiatives really focusing on the, the research agenda that our, that our, our OEHS professionals pursue in, uh, you know, at AIHA. Uh, we, we have already identified uh, activities, you know, standards of care, if you will. Uh, how should our industrial hygienists, what standards should our industrial hygienists uh, strive to perform too? And what is the gap? What's preventing uh, industrial hygienists from being able to implement standards of care? Uh, and so those uh, content priorities have been well established. Uh, we have very uh, robust strategic plans to get those done and we'll continue with those. Those are fairly large priorities. Um, so th that in addition to what uh, our, our CPEG group is outlining are really where, where our path. So obviously there's, there's, a, there's an influx of uh, younger uh, professionals coming into the industry, new, new professionals. Uh, what are some of the top priorities that you think late millennials and uh, Gen Z professionals uh, coming in or just start, you know, starting to ramp up their careers? Uh, you know, what are, what are some of those uh, focus points that, that you uh, think might come into play for them for young, younger professionals coming into industry now um, after, you know, after we've, we've gone through this global pandemic, you know, it's, it's kind of a reset, a slight reset of the world, right? So I'm, I'm going to throw that at you first, Donna. So for, for me, <clears throat> you know, the, the way that um, industrial hygienists or occupational and environmental health scientists will interface with the worker in the future, I think, is different than it is today. Uh, and so our, our younger folks need to understand how do they reach out to remote workers? How do they develop uh, programs and support to gig workers, for example? Uh, how do they include things that we've discussed before at the beginning of this uh, this this uh, event here uh, to talk about emotional well-being? Those are the aspects I believe that our younger workers, our, our younger professionals, are going to be engaged with. I mean, do you think it's more it, it's with these new ways of communicating and the remote workers now that's becoming you know more uh, more of a standard? Um, it, it, you think it's more challenging for the for the younger professionals coming in, or or those of us who have been in the industry for a longer period of time and having to do, do kind of a reset? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, for sure, it's more challenging for folks like me, for sure. But uh, it's not so much their their tasks, their ability to work effectively from home. It's being able to reach out to those folks that are also working at home. How do we how do we manage their industrial hygiene exposure risks? Uh, for instance, with a, a you know a, a small a gig worker, how how do we make sure that that person is uh, using the uh, all the appropriate measures to make sure that their work day is as safe as it needs to be? Um, that's the 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 issue for me is is reaching out to those individuals. I think that uh, the OEHS community as a whole, we focused and have done a marvelous job on a fairly large industries, manufacturing industries, even construction industries. I don't know how effectively we've been able to reach out to small businesses, uh, to folks that are, are gig workers, uh, uh, people in agriculture. For instance, uh, the, the risk to these workers from heat stress as we go through climate change is going to be increased as a result of um, you know, their, their need to be out in that kind of an environment. And what kind of tools does the industrial hygienists, the OEHS professionals provide 
to to help them manage their individual exposures. I think to me that's that's a very significant challenge for our younger uh, industrial hygiene or occupational environmental health science professionals. But I mean, overall, that's that's a big challenge anyway, right? The small business, yeah. larger larger industry, you know, big corporations tend to have in-house fairly fairly substantial, you know, OEHS programs. I mean, they, they have professionals yeah. in place, or they at least they contract out to you know outside firms to do that. But smaller businesses, that's like that's. It, you know, the cost burden on doing that. I mean, it, it's challenging. How, how do, and it seems like more employees, at least in, you know, in this country work for small business than large companies. So mm-hmm. the, the bulk of our workforce probably is employed in, in a, what would be considered a small business, right? So how, how, how do we adapt to get, to get these type of, uh, you know, total worker health practices, uh, you know, in play for, you know, somebody that's not a fortune 100 company. Right. I, I think we need to take advantage too of uh, the internet uh, take advantage of being able to develop uh, educational sessions or even even sensor technologies that tell me uh, as a, um, a a person who works outdoors that my 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 heat stress that that I'm at at risk for heat stress and that it's time to rest and hydrate things like that and how does the how do the OEHS professionals help develop that technology and then deploy it? We'll be back after this. Here's our consultant, Sarah. She's always looking for ways to grow her network and increase her business. But advertising is expensive. There are lots of competitors, and sometimes she has trouble finding the right audience. Luckily for Sarah, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA, offers the perfect low-cost solution, the AIHA Consultants Listing. This listing is the perfect resource for consumers and businesses, and especially for those in need of highly specialized and qualified industrial hygienists. Every year, AIHA sends the consultants listing to thousands of decision makers nationwide in a variety of industries, including legal, real estate, trade associations, academics, hospitals, and all levels of government, including most federal agencies. It's also readily available online through their website. Sarah had no idea the consultants listing was such a valuable low-cost resource. Now she knows getting into the directory makes perfect sense to better her business. It didn't take long before Sarah found her network expanding, and she was even pulling ahead of her competitors. The AIHA Consultants Listing, your link to building a larger network. Felix, as far as CPAC goes, what are there are there hot topics or trends that you know that your uh, your group is is looking at for AIHA uh, to, to you know that you, that you see hot topics coming up more so in twenty three and beyond that that are on your radar? Right. So I think Donna kind of just hit on one that I, I think is definitely important in terms of sensor technology, but I'm going to take a, a slightly different viewpoint from it. Right. So so you talked about what trends are happening, right? What economic trends, what industry trends are occurring, and I think one thing that's really evident is we're going through the the fourth industrial revolution, right? And and when we talk about industrial revolution right now, we're talking about the digitization within companies. So how that impacts potentially an early career professional is companies are looking for new ways, uh, new technologies. They're looking at uh, looking at data in different ways, looking at you know, 5G, AI, automation, and and how they can use those things to take them to the next level of business, the next level of production. 
So as a OEHS professional, that means on one hand, they're going to be trying to make decisions more quickly, right? And we're still using some some old mechanisms to, to get our information, right? Yes. If you have to use a pump and tube, it, it might take you uh, <laughs> six to eight weeks to get an answer when in the, the future of business, they need mm -hmm. that answer in a week, right? So we're going to see that change in terms of the technology that happens within our profession itself. So, so we're going to need to be proficient in that technology and executing that technology and really getting the buy-in from a business perspective to, to implement the technology in the field so we can get to those answers. But then we also need to think about it in a different manner and how can we grow, how can we evolve? And, and really, if we're getting larger data sets in, at the business level, how do we get to quicker answers, right? How do we get to the answer that the business needs to know in order to make a decision to go forward, right? And I think that's gonna be a big change for the profession as a whole and something that I think the early career professionals might be able to take the lead on in leading that charge. And within CBAG, I'd say we have a connection from a content priority from a, a big data and sensor technology perspective where we're trying to create content to do that, to prepare the IH profession and the OEHS profession for the future where this is prevalent and this is prominent. And that's a new content priority for CPAC, correct? Um, or... It was established a while back. So it's been a content priority for over five years. Okay. It's been honed and, and you know changed slightly and combined to kind of put both big data and sensor technology together into one priority. Which makes I can't, sense. I, I can't agree more, Felix. I can't agree more. I think that's the future of uh, exposure assessment is using sensor technology, understanding how to use that data. For instance, uh, you know, I'm scratching my head all the time when I see people taking eight hours of data with a sensor, a, a wonderful sensor that's doing minute by minute uh, time-weighted averages of exposure and then they're only looking at the eight hour time weighted average instead of realizing that data can really inform them <clears throat> about the very particular step in the operation that puts people at risk for exposure. And how do we bring that down? So I, I can't agree more with you, Felix. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, it's the same thing when, you know, people are doing spore trap analysis for mold and they look at just the total counts. Yeah. You know, it, it, total count is great, but it doesn't really tell you what's really going on there. You need, you do yeah. need to look at, you know, the, what's happening at a, a given interval throughout a process. So that, that makes total sense. Um, are, are there any other hot topics or trends that either of you think we should be keeping an eye on, you know, for the industry? Was, I mean, there's the world's changing rapidly. Yeah, I think earlier at the beginning, I, I talked about the ventilation standards. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, uh, the pandemic has taught us a whole lot about ventilation systems and how should we how we need to re-engineer them. And so the question for uh, OEHS professionals moving forward <clears throat> is what are the optimal filtration and uh, ventilation parameters for these high occupant density spaces like an office environment? or even um, uh, you know, a, a, a classroom, for example. And how do, we, how do we make these modifications but still meet our energy efficiency goals? So this I think is, is one that's gonna be right on top of us. And so what's interesting is the White House has issued a call to action and that is for organizational leaders and building owners and operators to assess indoor air quality and make some uh, real ventilation and air filtration and air changing improvements to keep these building occupants safe uh, from, from infectious aerosols, for instance. And what is, what is our role in that? 
how do we participate in working with these operators and with the design engineers, mechanical engineers, to support the assessment and then the re-engineering of these building ventilation systems? And I think that that's one, in, in my humble opinion, that uh, the, the OEHS community really is going to be rolling up their sleeves and collaborating to develop some new uh, ventilation uh, standards, working on partnering with ventilation system engineers. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. W one of the things that I, that I saw happen, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic was mm -hmm. the, uh, the uh, much intensified use of portable air cleaners, especially yes. in classrooms and schools, which, you know, and I, people conflate the term air changes and air cycles. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's, that's been me as an IAQ professional. Uh, I've always, you know, it's like, if you're doing air cycles, that's great from a filtration standpoint. But you know, if you're just doing media filters that are taking particulate out of the air, mm -hmm. you're not dealing with gaseous contaminants in the space, yeah. right? Unless you have some sort of sorbent technology there. Um, and, and my concern is that the people may, you know, the general public may think that these air cleaners are a substitute for having actual ventilation air changes in, in a space, mm -hmm. and they're really not. Mm -hmm. So, so that's something I think that, you know, as a professionals, you know, IH, uh, OEHS professionals, it's important to be able to communicate that, right? Because yeah. I think a lot, maybe a lot of the, the clients and the, and the constituents that your, your, uh, your members deal with, or anybody in the industry, members or not members of AIHA uh, deal with, they're, they're going to have an informed yet slightly misinformed public <laughs> that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, terrific. Yeah. Challenging. <laughs> challenging uh felix any any other hot topics that you can think of you know so i can't say it's necessarily an emerging trend itself but kind of going back to what donna said earlier she, she hit on emotional intelligence and i don't think this is a new trend but a lot of the other trends we see hark back to a need for a higher level of emotional intelligence and i think there's been a focus i think over the past five to seven years within aiha specifically on thinking about the non-technical skills, the skills that we don't get in our classroom or our, our EHS programs within the, the collegiate ranks, but we really need to highlight those non-technical skills. And I think early career professionals got to figure out a way to upskill in that space, because as we think about gig workers, as we think about changing work environments, serving the changing workforce, uh, multiple generations, we have to figure out the way to, to communicate with all of those generations. We have to figure out a way to to communicate with the higher levels of, of our businesses to the lower levels and the people working on the floor. And a lot of that comes from those non-technical skills, um, understanding how to present, you know, how to present the same information in different ways to different folks. So I, I think that's gonna become a, a heightened priority. It's not a emerging trend itself, but the prioritization of those non-technical skills will just keep rising, I think, in the next few years as we get more complexity and how we're dealing with some of these emerging trends we talked about today. Well, last year we did a couple of episodes on the program about emotional intelligence and, and some of the communication skills. And I think that's something mm -hmm. that at least traditionally technical people, right, uh, you know, professionals in this industry um, are are very well skilled at the technical aspects of their jobs, doing, you know, performing the tasks, doing the assessments, using, you know, equipment in the field and stuff. But those those soft skills, those people, communication skills, being able to to actually interface with the clients or the people that they're working for and being able to, you know, uh, just share information and communicate, you know, coming up, you know, just throwing data at people doesn't solve anything, right? You have to be able to effectively engage them and uh, 
speak with them. So yeah, I, I see that as being a really big thing going forward. So I'm going to reset a shot here just to get me on top. Uh, okay, that's the way we were to begin with, trying to get it back to the original set. Um, so uh, earlier, Donnie, you, you you touched slightly on climate change. It's just you know talking about some of the uh, the uh, temperature changes for work. Uh, agricultural settings and workers out there, but climate change is a reality, and it's it's something that's going to affect every aspect of business, right? And every aspect of, you know, if you're talking total total worker health, I mean, that's that's a major point. What type of like how do you how do you see this going forward? And how does this come into play with uh, some of the priorities for uh, AIHA going forward? Because obviously, this is, this is a pretty yeah. serious issue. So I am I'm fairly passionate about this myself, uh, and. Uh, as a result, we started up a working group uh, this year, climate change working group, and they're focusing on heat stress. They're doing some research. They're trying to identify the appropriate sensor technologies that can be used that, that incorporate the WBGT. Uh, and then also to be able to develop communication mechanisms to the at-risk workers. A lot of the people that are at risk for heat stress uh, don't have uh, an OEHS professional looking over their shoulder. They're out, they're gig workers, they're agriculture workers, they might be construction workers or, or installing roads. Uh, and those are the people that we need to protect from uh, heat stress. And so uh, th that to me, I think is, um, uh, you know, one of our priorities and certainly something that we're collaborating with a number of different organizations uh, to come up with the right uh, you know, path forward for this. Um, do, do you see, as far as the OEH as uh, professionals, uh, you know, and that, and that whole, just collectively, the whole the whole industry and that side of it, um, how how does that those collective professions play into dealing with things like climate change or you know sustainability? That you know we're 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 on a, we're sealed on a little bubble, a rock flying around in space. We have X number of resources. I, I think people forget that sometimes. You know, we're not going to get more of anything. We have what we have here on this rock, and uh, you know we have to find better ways to manage and use. And it is from the OEHS perspective, is uh, how how does that play into you know maybe a, a, an evolution of the profession to address yeah. those things? We, we have to figure out how to reach those folks at risk. Um, and, and, you know, it's, as I mentioned, you know, it's, it's not just simply um, creating content for me. We have to create content for the people at risk and content that can be quickly uh, and easily reviewed, content that uh, is, is in their language that they need to, to have it in their language. Uh, and, and that's what I think is our step forward is. Mm -hmm. But that's that's challenging, right? Because again, mm -hmm. you know, on the on the larger, you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, just and I don't want to just single them out, but they're companies that have these programs in place and they have time mm -hmm. slots for training where they do this. But yeah. when you get into small business, not yes. so much. I mean, you know, yes. other than trying to check some boxes for OSHA, most people in small business don't really. I think a lot of them just are just not cognizant of what they should be doing you know it's not necessarily that they're they're evil employers or anything but they just don't know and, and it's how do you how do we get that out to them how do we, reach we, them? we need to get first of all educating educating students uh you know uh, children even uh, high school students college students for sure getting them to understand about the the risk associated with heat stress and it, there could be other things related to climate change like wildfire smoke inhalation etc uh, so understanding that, and then also uh, getting it directly to the to the worker themselves, 
Um, so I don't have to navigate through all kinds of uh, hitches to get to somebody. You know, how do what's what's the media? What's the way that we get information out to people? First of all, thank you, Felix. It was wonderful to collaborate with you on this topic, and I appreciate uh, all of your support as well, Bob, on this. <clears throat> uh, the 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 nice part, the wonderful part about AIHA is having organizations like CPEG to help guide and direct the not only the board of directors in developing strategic plans, but then also to help our volunteer groups identify what topics are needed in order to ensure safe and healthful uh, workplaces for our for our, our uh, you know for the population at large. Felix? No, I, I definitely would like to thank both of you. I think these are important topics, right? Especially when we talk about the, the future of the profession and, and where we need to go. Um, I think from, when I think about emerging topics, emerging trends, you know, I, I'm definitely happy I get to participate via CPAG to, to be a contributor to the work and efforts that AIHA puts forth to try to prepare the profession for the future. I might just say that it's going to be a collective effort, right? So it's not just CPAC. We have a lot of things going on across the association that, that try to address this. Um, Donna mentioned grand challenges earlier. We have a lot of work that we've identified that needs to be done. I think it's just getting the, the base together, all the members, the people that aren't members, the people in the profession together, and pushing towards where we think we need to go in order to prepare our people for the future, right? So, I mean, that might be generating content, that may be generating professional development courses. That also may mean um, creating new technologies and, and really promoting those new technologies and implementing those new technologies in spaces as well. So I, I'm just, I'm excited for the future and I know things are going to change <laughs> and I'm just, you know, ready for that change to take place. And I'm glad that we have a, a couple of different groups working within AIHA to try to push us in the right direction. Yeah, well, change is scary, no question about it. But I mean, it's evolution, right? We have, we have, we have to continually change and evolve with uh, to meet the current challenges. So, uh, Donna and Felix, thank you so very much for joining us on our uh, first episode of the new year, 2023, <laughs> on healthier workplaces. Um, so we'll be back again in two weeks with another broadcast. Uh, until that time, I'm Bob Krell, uh, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. Thanks so very much for joining us, and uh, stay he healthy and safe. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Thank you.